0: Good morning, church. It's, um, well, I was going to say it's good to see you. I I hope it's good for you to see me. Um, A couple of things I want to do before I jump into the sermon today. I was uh, looking out in the gallery. If you've never ever been here before, you know, we have a gallery and we have uh, some uh, bulletin boards out there. And, And there's a bulletin board right outside our sanctuary that says Life at WEPC. Which usually has you know events and stuff like that coming up on it. Guess what? There's nothing on it. <laughs> it's empty. No surprise there. Um, but that doesn't tell the whole story. Um, a couple of things uh, to make you aware of. Uh, you you know you, it, it may be hard to have a sense that the life of the church is living, breathing, that things are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh Just a couple of things to keep you aware of, uh, we served eighteen families last Sunday after this service through our food pantry. I think that was a record. Thank you for your generosity to the food pantry. Um, we launched an initiative this week where leaders in the church are making attempt, an attempt to call everybody, make some sort of contact with everybody who's a worshiper or a attender here who we know is not involved in any kind of small group or some kind of regular commu- community so that we can check on people, pray for people. We've heard all sorts of stories this week about people getting COVID-19 test results back and all sorts of things like that. So that that's... Uh, that's happening. Uh, the other thing, uh, just to, to keep you aware of too, that, uh, um, the ministry of our deacons, our mercy ministry to folks who are in need because they've lost jobs and that sort of stuff is ongoing as well. And so, uh, there is much, uh, much, uh, that, that is happening, even though it may feel like, uh, not much is happening. However, having said all that, I have felt the need to say to you guys for the last uh, couple of weeks and have not had the courage to say it is that I miss you. So I'll leave it at that. And uh, hopefully I can pray and then we'll uh, get on with what you're tuning in for today. So not to see a blubbering mess up here on the stage. Right. So let me uh, let me pray. And uh, we'll uh, jump in on what Ezra has for us this morning. Lord, we thank you today for uh, loving us. And we thank you that uh, in such a strange time, uh, the gospel remains true. The Holy Spirit remains active. And uh, the church, uh, Lord, is at work. Jesus, you said that the gates of hell would not prevail against your church. And so I pray uh, today as we, re- we think about uh, that fact and we think about how the church lives in the time of uh, disruption and difficulty uh, that we would, uh, we take that to heart uh, and that we would experience in the midst of that uh, joy uh, in the midst of our lament, that we would experience courage in the midst of our fear Uh, that we would experience hope and our temptation to despair. Uh, And Lord, I pray too that you would teach us uh, that uh, the distraction of uh, disruption would not keep us uh, from the good discipline and the good work of repenting of our sins. Uh, because though we may be suffering and though we may be struggling, Lord, we still need a savior and we still need our sin to be atoned for. And we still need to confess and to repent and to turn to you. And so I pray by your spirit uh, that you would help us uh, in that good work. Uh, Lord, I pray today as we look at your servant Ezra and as his friend Shechaniah, uh, that you would uh, bless our time in your word this morning. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Ezra 10 verses 1 through 17, uh, text is right there on the screen. Last week, Ezra discovered that there were all these mixed marriages among the uh, leaders there in Jerusalem, that uh, Levites and priests were married, not across racial lines so much, but as across spiritual lines. And... uh he was undone by that, overwhelmed by that. And so we're going to look in, look at today, he, he prayed that great prayer of confession. And now we're going to see some of the fruit of that prayer uh, being worked out uh, in Ezra 10, verses 1 through 17. Let me read that to you. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of this land. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. <coughs> be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. And that if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and the elders, all his property should be forfeited. And he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem Within the three days, it was the ninth month on the 20th day of the month. This is like mid-December. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, uh, not great weather, right? And all the people uh, sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're, uh, what, a, what, a, what a great picture there. They've come to repent uh, in the cold and in the rain. And they're all standing outside. So uh, uh, what, what, a great, what a great picture. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have broken faith and married foreign women and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice. It is so, we must do as you have said. But the people are many and it is a time of heavy rain. <laughs> We cannot stand in the open, Uh, nor is this a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at the appointed times and with them the elders and judges of every city until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Uh, And you know this is a, a congregational meeting because verse 15 says, only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tikvah, opposed this. And Meshulam and Shabbatiah the Levite, supported them. So even in the midst of a congregational meeting about confession, there were dissenters. So, uh, Which kind of rings true to me in this. So, Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, heads of the father's houses, according to their father's houses, each of them designated by name. On the first day of the 10th month, they sat down to examine the matter, and by the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. So I don't I don't know if you read the letter that I wrote at the beginning of the, the bulletin, but one of the things that I think has been so crazy about this time is the opportunities I've had to judge people, judge the living daylights out of them, and it is, it's amazing. Just give you a couple of things to pictures i don't know if this is true for you or not uh i'm the designated grocery buyer at our at our house during the uh um thing whatever we call this uh the stay in place or whatever and so i go to the grocery store put my mask on i go in the grocery store and i do my thing um and i've run into some of you at the grocery store that's been awesome um but one of the things that uh the other other day I was in the grocery store and I was going by this one case and I was looking and they had sushi in the case. I know this is frou-frou, but I looked at the sushi and I thought, man, I haven't had sushi in so long. I would love to eat that for lunch. And then I looked at the guy behind the counter and everybody that's working back there on the sushi, you know, raw fish, pretty manual. Got to touch it a lot. Uh, everybody's got a mask except one guy. And he's the guy that's cutting it up right there in front of him. He doesn't have a mask. So I judged him. I didn't buy a sushi. Uh, and uh, I'm I'm known at this grocery store. Weirdly, don't want to get into that. But I'm known there. And I said to the manager, I was going to buy your sushi, except that guy doesn't have a mask on. <laughs> so uh, I'm really known in that grocery store now. So, uh, so I judged him. I judge all the other people in the grocery store who don't have masks on. A guy coughed on me two weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, with his kids, he didn't have a mask on. And it was everything I could do not to sin with my lips uh, in in the middle of the grocery store. Uh, There are people in our neighborhood who are not practicing social distancing. They're just not. And sometimes I vacillate. On the one hand, the libertarian part of me really thinks that's awesome. And then the scaredy cat part of me thinks it's terrible. And then there's my favorite, a dear, dear friend in, in the neighborhood, someone we've known a long time. She's out trying to walk. And when she sees you coming at about 20 yards off, she pulls her mask. She holds it in her hand and holds it over her face until she walks by you. And then she takes it down. It's awesome. I love that one. Um, I watch TV and I watch what's happening on the news and I get mad at people who are crazily protesting. And then I get mad at the people who are commenting about them because they're in their uh, million dollar apartments in New York City with a job, critiquing the crazy people out on the Capitol steps that don't have a job. Everybody's judging everybody, right? Uh, let me just say at the outset, uh, I think you should take precautions in this. But I also know a uh, familiar verse of, of, of the scriptures in the midst of a time like this. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. Whether you wash your hands or don't wash your hands, whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's still true in the time of, of COVID-19. And so what we have in today's text is an opportunity for the people of God to come together uh, and to look at their corporate sin. But what's even more profound about this is, is the way this works and 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 the, the people that are... Uh, uh, that are engaged with this, I hope you can bear with me in this because this 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 text has a lot to teach us about how we judge one another uh and how it would would be better before we judge somebody else to judge ourselves. Now, I know that that's an unpopular thing right uh you don't want to judge yourself um, but the fact of the matter is uh Maybe 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 we shouldn't judge ourselves, but maybe we should certainly let God judge us so that we would flee more quickly to his provision for us uh in in that judgment. So what do we do with sin? And certainly what do we do with the sin of others? Well, as we see here, Ezra becomes aware that there's this uh mixed marriage thing going on he is overwhelmed by that he tears his clothes he pulls his hair he he prays he goes he fasts he he weeps very loudly and uh, he recognizes that that the people uh, are following down the same track that their ancestors did that led to their trouble and their uh, deportation and in the first place And so there's a couple of things that we need to draw out about the passage before we make some uh, application. Because it's this basically what you see in this text is Ezra becomes aware that people have these mixed marriages. And he recognizes that what they're going to have to do is that they're going to have to end these marriages. Now, uh, let me be clear about this. How can the Bible be so anti-divorce? which I think the general gist of the scriptures, right, is that uh, God doesn't think very highly of divorce. There are certain caveats about that and all of that. I don't want to get into that. Now, I just want to deal with what's happening in this text. How can can the general drift of the scriptures be anti-divorce and yet here seem to prescribe it, right? Right well there's a, there's a couple of reasons uh one is uh, a spiritual uh, a, a, an overarching spiritual uh reason and the other is just the actual words that are being used here to de- to describe what's going on the the first one is uh one of the things that you you have to remember about the the whole point one of the whole points of the people in the old testament is is not that, that they existed in many reasons and god worked with them and was in a covenant with them for a larger purpose than just them. And that purpose was what God said in Genesis three, that the seed of the woman, that a child would be born through uh, Eve, who would come and crush the serpent's head. And so there's a real emphasis here uh, in the Old Testament upon families and the uh, uh, propagation of the faith, of the faithful through families. Uh, because what they were leaning towards and looking towards was that one day a family of the people of God would have a child and that child would be the one who would crush the serpent's head. And so if you threw that out, if you threw faithfulness out and you uh, your families begin to deteriorate so that faith no longer and this this understanding of the covenant making and covenant keeping God is thrown out, then of course... The likelihood of the faithful child coming at some point generations later uh, is going to be much less. Remember, we said last week that this is not a racial thing because we note that Ruth uh, was from Moab, a Moabitess. But she, uh, in faith, says to Naomi, your God will be my God. Your people will be my my people. So she converts. Right. So that that's the first thing to understand is, is that there was this need for there to be faithfulness in families, generation after generation, for the provision of the, the one who would come. And secondly, this gets a little technical. And so anytime you have to use, explain Hebrew words, oh, listen, I took Hebrew. I took a lot of Hebrew and it's still, you know, mysterious to me. But bear with me in this as I try to explain this to you, right? So when Shechaniah in verse two says, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of this land, but even now there's hope for Israel in spite of this. A a, a couple of things to note here, where the word that he uses there for marriage is never translated anywhere else in the Bible for marriage. It means cohabit. Uh, As we used to say, uh, a million years ago, living in sin. This is, uh, so there is, it, it's not the typical word that is used for marriage. Secondly, uh, the word that's used here for foreign wives, right? Where he says, we've broken faith with our God and married foreign women. The word there for foreign women is never translated uh, uh, wives anywhere uh, in uh, uh, the scriptures and in six times that word is used in the book of Proverbs and it's translated as adulteresses. OK. Uh, and so one of the things that you have to see about this is. Uh, um, and, and also this word that's used here for divorce is not the technical word for the breaking of a marriage vow or the breaking of a marriage covenant. Uh, Either. And so so clearly what's going on here and that and I know I don't I don't want to muddy the waters any more than is necessary. Uh, That's my job to muddy the waters as necessary is to to make clear here that these unions that have caused the problem are illicit. Um, And uh, they they uh, are very, uh, very, very problematic. And what's interesting about it is, is that this man who comes out of nowhere, we've never heard of him, Shechaniah, the son of Jehael, of the sons of Elam, says to Ezra, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there's hope for Israel in spite of all this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Now, here's Shechaniah, this guy that comes up in response to what he sees with Ezra, and he says this. You know what? We, we need to renew our covenant with God. We need to put away these wives and these children. Now, the, the thing that's profound about that is um, something that happens in verse 26. In verse, at the end of this chapter, Ezra lists out the names of the families uh, that um, are guilty of intermarriage. And the name of Jehiel, the father of Shechaniah, is on the list. So Shekiniah when he stands up and says we have broken faith with our god he's talking about his family in fact he's talking about his mom and dad and himself I mean this this is this is the thing that is is so profound about this is is that he's not standing here judging everybody else and saying yeah you know what? All these other families out here, they need to be busted up. They need to they need to repent. They need to get to turn this around. He looks at himself and he is struck by the word of God, struck by the goodness of God because he says there's still hope. But he's also willing to turn the spotlight of God's correction upon himself and his own family. And I think that's what makes this such a powerful thing for people is, and, and for us is to see that, uh, and this and what makes him such a great leader in, in many ways is he hears the word of God. He is convicted by the word of God. And come what may, he is going to see to it that, uh, he repents, that he owns his sin, that he confesses it, and that he is willing to turn the spotlight, turn the exposure upon himself and his own family. Uh, that that's a that is a a a, a pretty uh, profound thing for us to think about, right? And I think it's an interesting thing when we think about the issue of judging, right? Uh, because we almost never begin our rants of judging about, you know what I've done? (laughs) And you know what I did? (laughs) And you know what, how I've said about this? And I I need to repent about that rather than beginning with, look at those people out there. Look at what they're doing. The profound thing about Shekinah is he recognizes the sin and he's willing before the whole assembly to stand up and say, you know what? This is us. I'm the man. I'm guilty. Now, he doesn't wallow in that. He's not manipulating in that. He says, I am guilty, and yet there's still hope, right? And why does he believe that there's hope? Hope for us, hope for himself, hope for his family in spite of this. Well, I, I, I think I think he has a understanding of the nature, the covenant nature of our God. You see, one of the things that that we uh, think about uh, in our lives with one another, and maybe this is a healthy thing. It probably is a healthy, healthy thing where we set boundaries in our relationships, don't we? Um and uh, we think about what's toxic, what makes some relationships bad, and, and, and we, you know, we avoid certain kinds of people. And I, I understand that there are plenty of cases where that might absolutely be necessary. But it's great news for us today that my toxicity doesn't keep my God away from me. my judging, my blindness, uh, my coldness, my hardness, my rank disobedience, frankly, does not place me in a hopeless position, not because I have some kind of divine spark in me or not because I have some sort of, you know, really at heart, Steve's a good guy. Steve is not a good guy. But at at, at heart, I have a good God who has tied himself to me, who has made a covenant with me in blood to see me through to the end. Uh, And that uh, because of his goodness and because of his grace, as we read earlier today, uh, as as Becca read from from Romans, right, that it's not knowing that the kindness, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Titus writes that it is uh, the kindness of God, the grace of God that teaches us to say no to sin. It teaches us to say no to sin by, first of all, showing us our sin and giving us an opportunity to turn from it rather than focusing all our attention and energy upon other people's sin and correcting their sin. Now, there's a place for going to get the uh, speck out of your brother's eye. But before we do that, as we do that, we need to say, you know, I am a sinner. I have broken faith with my God. And yet, as one sinner to another, let me say to you that we have hope. Hope not in our ability to reform or our willpower or that sort of thing, but hope in the restoring, uh, renewing uh, grace of our God. The cross of Christ is not just for people who get it together cross of Christ, the covenant kindness and steadfast love of our God is not just for people who practice good discipline. In fact, uh, Shechaniah is on to something here that even as he recognizes his 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 own and his family's sin in the midst of this, he has hope because he knows that his God is a covenant keeping God, that God has tied himself to these people, and he will not ultimately reject them, right? So that's our hope. Um, uh, and, and I want to say to you today, uh, one of the things that is, has been uh, very disturbing very to me in the midst of the uh, pandemic, um, is statistically, if you, you look out, uh, the uh, amount of uh, abuse uh, the amount of uh, uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, the amount of spousal abuse, uh, the amount of uh, uh, pornography, uh, the use of pornography on, on the Internet, which is rampant on a good day, is off the scale in bad days, um, that those things are real, and that that is actually going on and happening uh, in in our community. Um, and what I want to say about that is, as horrible and as terrible as those things are, there is every reason for us to have hope and to repent, and to turn our backs on those terrible things that we've done. Um. Because none of those things are ultimately, as horrible as they are, disqualifying. Let me say that again. As horrible as those things are, as terrible as they are, as much as they require accountability, they do not disqualify us from the grace of God. And neither does your judgmentalism your self-righteousness. That ultimately the kindness and the grace of our God as a, a, a Shekinah sees here is for people like us who get broken <laughs> and undone uh, by uh, the sin uh, that we uh, experience. Because I've, I've thought a lot lately and I think one of the great gifts of this pandemic is the opportunity to think a lot about mortality um and you know in the end when you come to the end of your life what's going to matter i got uh to sing uh this week <clears throat> uh in christ alone uh over the bed of uh a dear friend who's who's dying And it occurred to me while we were singing that we also listened because I couldn't sing anymore. We listened to Rock of Ages because the singing, you know, we needed to stop singing. We needed music, but it didn't need to come from us anymore. Um, But hearing that and thinking of those great lines and those hymns about when my soul soars to heaven and... I stand before Jesus on his judgment throne. There's judgment. There's judging. What's going to count? It's not that uh, I did a good job at social distancing. I did better than that guy at social distancing. Or I didn't do something terrible during the quarantine or whatever. What's going to count is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what counts right now. And that, recognizing that is what enables me to find hope in the middle of a dark time like this. And even a dark part of my soul is knowing that uh, there's hope even for the biggest, darkest uh, sin. Uh, Because the cross of Christ, the covenant love of our God uh, is bigger than all of that, so I hope that gives us a little bit of a hope today and I hope it frees you up uh, to uh, turn uh, to, to allow the the judging eye of God to turn towards you a little bit, uh, especially if that turns you uh, even more uh, to 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 the grace of God. Um, so what I want to do now is is confess our sins together. Uh, there's a great little prayer in our bulletin from uh, the Valley of Vision, confession of sin, um, and because we, you know, uh, because we've talked a lot this morning about sin, uh, and I realize I do it a lot, uh, and I I, uh, I, I talk about I, I talk about this a lot. Um, I, I want to uh, take the opportunity today uh, to implore you uh, to not hide. And implore you today not to um, read this prayer and say, I'm not that bad. That I won't. I I came to church today to hear comfort. Well, my friends, uh, the comfort that the cross has for you, uh, the pathway to that. Uh, is through uh, repentance and confession, because that is the discipline we practice that God uses in our hearts and lives to open us up to how big His grace and His kindness actually is. So we're going to take a little bit. Uh, this might be really awkward. I'm a fan of awkward. We're going to we're, we're going to make the um, silent confession of sin a little bit longer. Uh, You know, and I know that your kids are running around right now screaming and uh, it's time to get another Pop-Tart and uh, uh, whatever, whatever else maybe, which, you know, hey, if, uh, if you're like me, that means you actually need a little more time uh, to repent, but we're just going to take a little bit longer uh, time for uh, some silent uh, confession today. Okay, let me pray. Eternal Father, you are good beyond all thought, but I am wretched, miserable, blind. My lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel, and my ways reluctant to amend. I bring my soul to you, break it, wound it, bend it, mold it. Grant that through the tears of repentance, I may see more clearly the brightness and glories of the saving cross. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. Grace to you and peace from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.